Welcome to the Champions Round Show. My name is Jason Gold, and introducing for the first time is my official co-host, Dan Titus, the man. He's here with me. Today, we're going to talk about NBA Finals Game 6. We're going to talk a little NFL fantasy as everybody's getting ready for their drafts. Uh, Dan, I'm super thrilled to have you on with us and officially part of the Champions Round family. Super hyped, Jason. Thanks for having me, dude. And uh, really excited to talk about the finals. Fantasy football season is officially upon us. Um, just excited to talk about everything, man. So let's get it going. All right. So let's start with game six. Giannis, the freak, truly living up to his name in a way that I don't think that we've seen very many times, certainly not in my lifetime. A 50-burger in a closeout at home. Where's that performance ranked for you? Uh, some thoughts about game six and maybe the Bucks run to uh, to a title. Dude, I mean, I think it ranks at the top. I mean, I can't think of a moment in a closeout performance where someone's dropped 50 because literally no one's ever done it before. The, the closest thing to it was Michael Jordan when he dropped 45. So to me, I'm like, this is up there. I mean, this he's the first person to record multiple 30-point halves in a finals, the seventh player to drop 50 points in a, in a finals game. He's the first player ever in NBA history to win most improved player, MVP, defensive player of the year, and finals MVP. This is an epic stamp on the career, the legacy of Giannis Antetokounmpo. And, dude, I mean, the guy, he just played out, outstanding. And you can't – people forget, like, he was he, he had this hyperextended knee. We thought he yeah. was done. This man comes out of the woodworks and just delivers 35 uh, – what did he finish with? 35, 13 rebounds, 5 assists, and shot 62% from the field in the NBA finals. Epic performance, man. I mean, that's that's nuts. Uh, the thing that stands out to me, other than he was almost out game one, basically they said that he was out, and then he's like, no, I'll give it a try, and then he was basically epic in every all six games. Um, but for me, it's midway through the net series. I had conversations with basically anyone who watches ball, and they're like, Giannis could never be Batman. He'll never be Batman on a championship team. And I, I kind of felt the same way after watching two games in the net series. Harden is hurt. Kyrie's hurt. Come back. If Durant's big toe, I mean, I know that that's the storyline. Durant's big toe. If that's a little bit back, maybe the whole narrative is different. But Giannis gets a shot. You know, he hurts his knee a little bit, but bounces back, has this epic finals performance. Um, and turned into, like, not just Batman, but, like, the best Batman that there possibly could be the best version of himself. So that change in like a month is so crazy. I don't know if I've ever seen such an ebb and flow on someone's like career in a month for it to come to, Oh, you're a playoff disappointment. You're this, you're that to like, okay, this is like a top three NBA finals performance of all time. And it almost becomes the story of the bucks in general, because everybody wrote off uh, Mike Budenholzer. Everybody wrote off Chris Middleton. Is he really? He's an all star, but like, can he step up in the moment? Where's Drew Holiday been? He's so inconsistent. He can't. He comes through in the clutch in a couple of games, and then he disappears for other ones. But this is a culmination of everything coming together at the right moment. And to be honest, like, I think that this was probably the best case scenario for an outcome for the NBA. I think this is the first time we actually got to enjoy someone that wasn't LeBron James or the Warriors or some kind of superstar big market team winning it all. And, you know, congratulations to the Bucks, man. They haven't won this since, what, 1971, I think it was. So, yeah, dude, this is crazy. Like, Milwaukee should be exciting. I mean, they built this. Giannis was drafted. Literally scrawny dude from Greece. No one knew who he was. And then he comes out, balls out. You know, they make a move to get Drew Holiday, which we'll talk about in a little bit. Um, I think this is a, just an awesome story overall, man. I I didn't bet on the Bucks to win it all. Like I thought, I thought the Suns were actually going to win it. But honestly, they had no they had no answer for Giannis, and and we saw Chris Middleton. He was clutching the in the in the closing moments, and that's what they needed him to be. Um, he showed up at the right time. Everybody showed up at the right time. I don't know if the NBA has ever had a better story from birth until the first time you win a championship than Giannis. I don't know from being the scrawny, scrawny kid. Remember all like the old YouTube highlights, like when YouTube yep. was trash of like Giannis, like 15 <laughs> year old and like division right. D in Greece. Be like, yo, this kid is sick. Um, and then to come out and like, like you said, 
most improved defensive player of the year. And then to win the finals like this with the 50 burgers, a cap. I mean, I can't, it's only been one day, but it's really hard to grasp like how epic of a story this is. Like this is a full blown Hollywood script. You couldn't make this stuff up type of deal. Dude, the evolution of a basketball player, like in front of your eyes, like you watched it unfold from its journey from the beginning stages and you're seeing the, the end of that story is hoisting the Larry O'Brien trophy, man. Like, Oh, they're, they're, they're going to be making a lot of 30 for thirties after this, after this performance. Absolutely. It's like the Dirk story on like super, super steroids. Right. Yeah. It's crazy. Um, So before we get into kind of the Phoenix part of this, which I think is an important part to talk about, I do want to talk about the drew trade and kind of how that, looks in retrospect obviously they won the title so it it worked but drew wasn't the reason they won the title his defense certainly obviously in game five he had a huge moment but he was pretty trash offensively for most of the the series and actually most of the playoffs uh his but his defensive value what he brought to that team on the perimeter was insane uh so i kind of want to get your thoughts on how that trade looks in retrospect yeah, I mean, the trade in general, man, I, I think, you know, you got rid of Eric Bledsoe as a part of that. Um, you shipped him and, you know, you pretty much shipped him out um, as well as Steven Adams got traded to the Pelicans. Um, the Bucks obviously got Drew and Sam Merrill. Oklahoma City got George Hill. He wound up getting traded somewhere else. Kendrick Williams, a bunch of throwing pieces. And then ultimately the Denver Nuggets got RJ Hampton, who then eventually got shipped to Orlando. So if you're looking at the Milwaukee Bucks in terms of trade value, I think you won out ridiculously in this deal. Like the first year you acquire an all-star level point guard and you win the championship, like best case scenario, this is probably the best trade that's ever been made. Arguably did like a draft, maybe like a draft day trade, like Scotty Pippen to the bulls, like that ultimately resulted in six rings. But, um, but if you're talking like season to season, trade-off it's like damn i just got drew holiday and we went and we're hoisted a larry o'brien like that's that's the best case scenario and i think a lot of the a lot of the criticism about the bucks was really around who are you going to put around Giannis to actually win because eric bledsoe already showed that like he disappears in the moments he's not that efficient whereas drew holiday also as you pointed out he wasn't that efficient in the playoffs um you know he he finished only shooting 40 percent from the field you know, and he's usually around that 48, 49, 50 percent type of guy, especially in the playoffs. So, you know, it's not like he shot lights out, but he did everything else. His st- his defense on Chris Paul completely really shutting him out of like three out of four, three out of, the, of those six games, um, as well as just his leadership. Like he was doing everything else, the rebounding, the assists, getting people involved. And he was really what propelled them to that NBA finals after those two game five and game six against the Atlanta Hawks. So you can't you can't state this guy was a the guy showed up and he was a hooper. So um, I think they 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 lucked out, man. And I'm proud of Drew. Um, as a Sixers fan, we drafted him, and I had to watch him, you know, go through that journey of going through from team to team and not getting his respect. And I think he's finally got it now. I, I thought that Drew, for, in comparison to what Bledsoe brought, right offensively, at least in the finals, for most of us, we're kind of probably the same or close to. But his defensive value and his leadership value, I, you just can't put a price on that. And yeah. even if you do compare to what they sent out, like it's so worth it. Uh, I thought he was awesome. He's probably awesome in the locker room for, for Giannis and for Coach Bud, having a leader on the floor like that uh, who handles the ball as much as he do does. Uh, yeah, I, I thought it was ended up being a great trade, better than I thought at the time that it would turn out. And when you think about it, I feel like I, I've been talking about this on several different uh, segments or pods, but I think that they had like the perfect balance of like great team chemistry and like good people mixed with goons. Because like when they made that move for PJ Tucker, they were yeah. missing that edge. Same with Bobby Portis; like they needed a guy that's gonna you know, stir up a little bit of controversy and get in people's faces, bring some extra energy and like defensive prowess as well as offensive skill set. And this was just like a perfect marriage of all of those things. Cause you got Chris Middleton, Drew Holiday and Giannis. They were probably three of the nicest guys in the league. Give them a couple goons and look what happens championship. So uh, we could spend a whole podcast talking about how epic Bobby Portis was in game six. <laughs> For real. 
Uh, it was if it were for the fifty burger by Giannis, this was definitely the Bobby Portis game. Uh, 100%. I, I think my favorite like extra activity moment of the entire finals was Chris Paul trying to talk to Scott Foster and Bobby just standing there in his way, just smiling his ass off, like "Get just out of smiling. here, you little you little gnat! You're like get out of my way." I think that honestly, that was the moment where I think he knew it was like, "Yo, we got these guys, man. That like, they don't, they're not, they're not, they're not going to last out with this." Like Bobby was cheesing like he had nothing, no care in the world. Oh, man, he was he was awesome. And then the the uh, interview right after, how much champagne have you have? And the, him and Pat Connaughton just <laughs> looking at each other like, oh, we've probably gone through about seven bottles already. It's been like 20 minutes. You know the Bo- Bobby Portis is there, J.R. Smith. You know he had the oh, 100%. Of oh, he's going to be poured up so much Henny. So much Henny is oh, going to be God. flowing on that parade. That's going to be great. All right, so let's switch over to the Phoenix side of this. Uh, I think the follow-up from here really becomes where does Chris Paul – end up next and it does he end up back phoenix uh phoenix obviously has a great core uh burger and Aiden ain't going anywhere uh although Aiden kind of struggled at the end of the series just you know there's all six games against Giannis is uh a lot so he definitely needs to get a little bit stronger uh i thought that monty williams even though they lost was awesome the entire series and obviously i mean you saw everything afterwards monty is the best um but it really comes down to chris here does he stay in Phoenix or you think he's going to end up somewhere else? Yeah, I think it's a great question because the Phoenix Suns certainly have some decisions to make in terms of their cap because uh, Macau Bridges and DeAndre Ayton are both on eligible for extensions on their rookie deals. So they're going to have to pay up uh, for those two guys to pair around. I mean, you're, that's really your cornerstone of your franchise there with those, th- those two and Booker. I mean, if, if I'm Chris Paul, I'm, I'm giving them a discount in order to make that work, because I think that they showed that, you know, they were one of the best teams performance wise at home over the course of the season. They made it to the NBA finals. They weren't that far off. Sure. There was some luck that played into that in terms of, you know, injuries and other circumstances, but ultimately they were still the second best team in the Western conference this season. So I think you run it back. You know, I I think Monty Williams and him obviously have a great rapport. Willie green will be gone in terms of their, their coaching staff, but, I think they built something there, and I think that they've shown that um, Chris Paul is the right fit to run that organization in terms of being a point guard and letting Devin Booker. He's already had this this playoff experience now. This is their first one. He was the only one besides Jay Crowder that had any playoff experience. So, you know, I think you got to you got to re it up. So I I definitely agree from Phoenix's side. Like you got to do everything in your power to bring Chris back. Even if you're overpaying and you're going to overpay because he's 36 years old and he's going to be his max out for the next two years until he turns 38 is like $40 million a year. And then once he turns 38, he can only make veteran minimum. So he's going to go from like 40 to like $1.7 million a year or whatever. Like, so that's going to be, that's going to be real wild. Um, I don't, from Chris's standpoint, he's kind of in a tough place because he's the NBA uh, PA president. So he, he can't go. Like people are talking about him going to the Lakers. Like, yeah, right. Okay. I'm a Lakers fan. That ain't happening. He's not going to take a $38 million discount as the NBA PA president. It's a horrible look. If you want to yeah. go to another team where he, he could get a two year max, okay. Maybe that makes sense. But there's not really a team out there that that's going to happen. Like, what's he going to do? Go to the Knicks? That's not going to happen. He's going to end up. Yeah. yeah. We're, like, I, I don't really understand unless there's a sign and trade that happens. Like, what does he want to do a sign and trade where he ends up in Philadelphia and they trade Ben Simmons? Like, I don't really know what the move, I don't know what the move is here. Like, but right. why would, why would the 76ers do that? Like you're going to have a 37 year old and 38 year old Chris Paul with, with Embiid and you're still paying the same amount of money as Simmons. Like it's yeah, fun. It's fun on, like, it's fun on yeah. paper. It's right. fun on paper, but like, it's not real. So I, I think that the marriage worked well. He loves money. He's, Gonna have to take the forty million from someone. Might as well go with the team that he just went to the NBA Finals with. Um, but it would be to see him explore around a little bit and see kind of what trade offers might happen. I don't know what right. other teams realistically make sense. Let's take the Lakers, all like the trash teams out of here. Are there any teams that actually make some sense for him to go and explore? I mean, the Clippers are kind of interesting. I mean, he's already been there. <laughs> oh God! It would be a lot of. There's a lot of ego in that room, but I mean, there, there's rumors that they're interested in Lonzo Ball. Lonzo Ball is going to command a pretty hefty salary in the open market. So 
I mean, I think that there's a case to be made that the that the Clippers maybe he wants to go back there. Um and him being with Ty Lue, I think would also be kind of interesting. But like I just don't really see many options in terms of win now, get a championship with a brand new franchise. Like he's been so good at taking teams to that next level. You know, we saw it with the Rockets, we saw it with the Thunder, even the Pelicans back in the day. But can he continue to do that? Like, I don't know, man. I think that the luck might be out for that. Like for him to go to some other random team like the Knicks, like the Knicks aren't gonna just go into being contenders because Chris Paul joins that team. I don't think it's the right fit. I think Phoenix is the answer here, but I'm curious to see what the betting markets will say if he decides to opt out of that player option, you know, go free agency and then ultimately actually evaluate some suitors for his services because I think he, he doesn't need the money right now. That, that dude mm-hmm. wants a ring. So what's your best co- course to a ring? I, I would assume it would be with Phoenix. What about Miami? That's the dark horse. Uh, because Pat Riley loves to spend and he wants those big ticket players and he'll he's already shown that he's willing to part ways with whoever he needs to uh, to get a winning roster together. Him and Jimmy Butler to me sounds scary. Um, I would love that combination along with Bam Adebayo. Chris Paul playing with Bam, man, that would bring out a new Bam that we, I mean, I was already excited for what Bam's prospects yeah. are going forward, but like him playing with Chris Paul is just a next level. Um I would like to see that actually. I think that that's that's enough caliber of talent to actually go somewhere. And I think the East is still pretty wide open in terms of competition. Like, I don't think that the you know I think it came out right after the series was over. Uh, the Nets are the odds-on favorite to win the championship, and rightfully so. They're big three, um, but I think he has a quicker, a better path to a championship on the Eastern Conference than the Western Conference. So. If he goes to Miami, I think the deal would have to be a sign and trade with Oladipo going back to Phoenix. Yeah, and so, I just don't know if that's enough compensation, maybe. But like, I'm I'm not, I'm I'm kind of out on Oladipo, man. I just can't trust his health, um, inefficiencies. But uh, I mean, that's it's an option for sure. It's an option. So if you traded Duncan Robinson's also a free agent, so you couldn't do that. So, right. but if you did like Hero and Oladipo for Chris Paul and I don't know. Probably picks. Yeah, one of their other pieces that make the the math work. It's interesting. I I think that Miami gets better and, I mean, the Suns are going to get worse, but at least they get some assets. I I think that 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 would probably be the second team, but I don't think that he's going to end up leaving the Suns. Not not over the next two years at least. Yeah, I mean, ultimately, I think that the if there's going to be a franchise that's going to be trying to get Chris Paul, it's going to be like the, you know, I wouldn't be surprised if it's like the Celtics with Danny Ainge and Riley and all those players, all those those GMs that really covet those brand name players that know that they can win now. Um, I think that they'll make us they'll make a play at it, but ultimately, I think it's going to come down whether Chris wants to leave Phoenix or not. And whether Phoenix will give them a compelling offer enough, I think that they will. I think that they've shown. I mean, when was the last time Phoenix was good? Freaking Steve Nash days and Amari Stoudemire. So yeah. it's not like they have much leverage here. <laughs> what about uh, this last one? Then we'll move on to NBA uh, title for 2022. In theory, Drew Holiday for Chris Paul, who says no. Wow. That's intriguing, man. Um, I got to stick with Drew only because of the youth. Like, I think I would turn that down. I mean, at this point, Chris Paul would be great on that team as well. But I think Drew has proven enough that, you know, he can get it done. And like, I think I don't think he's leaving. He doesn't need a big market team. He's a very, I would say, humble type of type of leader, which I think is perfect for that franchise. And yeah, I don't. I think Drew Drew Holiday is officially off the market, man. I don't think he's going anywhere. Chris Middleton, he's not going anywhere. Like I think that they have a core big three that's definitely going to be dangerous for years to come. Yeah, I agree with you. All right, so let's go on. Twenty twenty two. I have the odds listed here: uh, Nets plus two twenty five, Lakers plus four fifty, Bucks eight hundred, Warriors twelve hundred, and Jazz twelve hundred. That is the top six or top five. Excuse me. Uh, further down the list, Suns 1,400, Sixers 1,600, Clippers 1,800, which seems low, but Kawhi, I guess maybe probably out at least half the year. 
Nuggets at 2,000, Mavericks at 3,000. Any of those jump out to you, and who do you expect to uh, kind of be in the mix next year? Yeah, I mean, the odds-on favorite, the Nets, you know, if they're healthy, we don't know what that series against the Bucks really looks like. I mean, you talked about the toe, KD's toe. Be on the line, who knows where we could have been. You know, this could be the Nets, you know, seemingly um, winning the championship. So I'll be honest, man, if we're talking value, I'm, I'm looking at the Bucks at plus 800 here. Eight to one. Uh, I think they've already proven that they have championship pedigree. They just they just won. Sure, there are some lucky circumstances that came that came up along the way here. And there's always that COVID factor, you know, over the course of the season, certain teams were hit more by that than others. But, you know, I think this could be the turning point in Giannis's career where he's the face of the NBA. Like, is he better than LeBron James now? Uh, I mean, I think an argument you could make it now. Like, this dude just dropped 50 points in the NBA Finals to close out a game. Like, I guess a very good defensive team. So, I don't know, man. I think the, the, the Bucks are the scariest odds on favorite there at plus 800. But the one I don't like really is the Clippers at plus 1800 because I, I saw a report on, I think it was a, on SportsGrid, uh, Ariel Epstein was talking to David Chow, who's a very prominent injury uh, med- practitioner, injury practitioner, uh, medical um, doctor or whatever. And um, he was saying that there's a good possibility that Kawhi Leonard doesn't play all season. Because no matter what, even if you call it a partial ACL tear, there's still significant amount of recovery that goes into that operation. So I don't know. Plus 1800 doesn't seem like I'd actually be looking at what their what their what their win total is going to be with the potential of Kawhi Leonard missing a significant portion of the season, if not all of it. So that's just an interesting uh, portion. Then the other one that the Nuggets at plus 2000. What's Jamal Murray going to look like? You know, we saw that the the Nuggets weren't as effective with him off the court. So. You know, I'm not surprised at their uh, long shot there. But the dark horse, I think, would be the Mavericks. They've been very vocal about spending in free agency, and who knows what they do with Porzingis. If they can get some good value there, who knows what, you know, imagine Damian Lillard playing with Luka or somebody, you know, there's a very intriguing matchups that could that could be aligned in the eight in free agency that we could see some swing here. Um, but right now, I think it makes sense to bet on the Nets. If they're fully healthy, that squad is dangerous, but the Lakers, I don't know, man. I, I don't know that they have enough depth to make that long haul uh, to, to 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 spend that at plus 450. But what are your thoughts there? So the Lakers one, I, I see it as being pretty tough to say that they're going to be 450. Like the bronze 37 years old at this point, going into year 19. Like, and AD's always hurt. Like, it's tough. The one year that... AD was able to make it all the way through the playoffs is when they took off three months in the middle of the season for COVID. So I find it hard to believe that AD is going to last the entire year. Um, If they are able to get someone, they're not going to get Chris. They probably get DeMar DeRozan, maybe something like that. Maybe they end up getting like Russell Westbrook as a buyout, something like that. But like, I, I don't know how much that makes them, like better than the 450. It might make them up to the plus 450. I just don't think you're getting value there. I do agree there's some value on the Bucks uh, at, at 800. Just hard to repeat, uh, although a little bit easier in the NBA. Uh, the ones that I see value on actually are probably the ones where you're going to see a big trade where their odds are going to jump up, which is basically where do you think Damian Lillard is going to go if they end yeah. up make, making a deal? So the three teams that I think on this list that are – potential landing spots for him would be the Warriors. Uh, that's like a Wiseman Wiggins seven and 14 trade. That makes a lot of sense. I mean, if you have Lillard healthy, Clay Thompson, Dre and Steph at plus 1200. Great. I'll take that. Those Word are good around. odds. Yeah. Uh, 76ers, obviously the Simmons straight up swap. Uh, I like that. I like, I like Lillard and Embiid a lot more than I do Simmons and Embiid. Uh, so I think that would probably make a little bit of sense. And then the Mavericks, uh, I started know that they have a great deal to present comparatively to the other two, but they're aggressive and they're really smart. Um, so I think that there's probably a chance that they could pull off a, a deal for Lillard and also just 3000 with them with the way they want to spend and the amount of deals that they can do. Plus they have one of the top four or five players in the NBA. Great. I'll take the 3000 there. So those would be, kind of be the ones that I'd be looking at right now to, put money on 
Yeah, I don't know that I, I feel comfortable placing a bet on futures until free agency is done. I don't really care too much about the draft. Like, I think, you know, Cade Cunningham, and we'll get to that a little bit at the end, but, uh, you know, I don't think there's anyone in the draft that's really going to sway this title run here, but free agency will. So I'm curious to see what some of the landing spots are, and then once the markets react to that, that's when I'll probably start laying down some money on on those futures. Yeah, I... I doubt anyone's probably putting down bets right now or at least serious ones the draft is interesting because there's going to be movement um right. so, so that's next thursday so you may be able to get some good odds then but that would probably be the first day with that i'd be looking to make any sort of legitimate move here yeah um all right let's move on to fantasy football we've hit all the nba stuff for now we're going to talk about the nba draft a little bit later and on our next podcast we're going to really di- dive into the nba draft Place a lot of money down. I love betting on the draft, so I'm excited for that. We'll talk about that at the end. Uh, fantasy football. So we're getting right to the beginning of draft season. I've already had a couple of them. Uh, unfortunately for me, I took Cam Akers in all of them, so all of my teams are already dead. That's great. Um, uh, yeah, yeah. I've, I've been meaning to uh, send up a prayer for you, buddy. I mean, I was watching you all during the SFB and – you know, you've been hammering on Cam Akers all offseason, and rightfully yeah. so, man. The dude's upside was spectacular. Um, it's just tough. It's just a tough blow. But I, I'm at least, you know, from a fantasy perspective, um, I'd rather have this information now before going yeah. into draft season. Like, imagine if you drafted him right before, you know, right during a preseason or something, and this happens, like, your season's totally wrecked. Um, Dynasty, you could still recover from this. Uh, best ball. Maybe not so much. Hope you got some depth, but yeah, it's just an awful news. Awful news for him, the the Rams, and as well as their, uh, you know, your fantasy teams. Yeah, my uh, my theory that handcuffs are stupid is really coming to bite me in the ass right now. <laughs> Why didn't I take Daryl Henderson in every league? I mean, I I don't disagree with you though, man. Like handcuffs, you're, like life's too short for handcuffs. Like you're 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 wasting bench spots on dudes to fail, and that's not how you play fantasy football. Like you gotta you gotta bank on upside. So why am I going to spend a, a valuable roster spot on some guy that may not get hurt and ball out for me? And I got this guy just sitting there like, nah, I'll go get the handcuff for another team for if they go down, then I'm winning. Right. So Exactly. Yeah, That's what sense. I was going to say. It's like, I hope other people get injured. Not our right. right. Um, all right. So what I want to do, this is going to be the start of about a month and a half of us doing pods on fantasy football leading up to everybody's draft. So we'll, we'll ease into it. We're just going to do a half PPR redraft. 12-teamer, first round. So, basically, your top 12 guys on the board. Uh, and you got first pick. We're going to go back and forth until we get to 12. So, you're on the clock. You got 1-1. One, 1-1. One. One, one, I'm going to go. Man, it's it's tough here because we're talking half-point PPR. And, you know, I, I love what I've seen out of the likes of CMC in years past and Derrick Henry last year specifically, Dalvin Cook. To me, the the right selection is Derrick Henry. And the reason I'm picking Derrick Henry is because this guy is an absolute monster. And the Titans did a great thing this year by going out and getting another 1B to uh, opposite A.J. Brown and Julio Jones. I think this is only going to help the, the, um, the offense for the Titans even more because now – even if teams decide to stack the box, they're going to get beat on the outside. And then you can't stack the box because you, you don't want to get beat. You know, Tannehill has proven to be one of the most efficient, accurate, and best quarterbacks over the course of the last 16 games. So to me, I, I think that this is great news for Derrick Henry. He's going to be getting positive game scripts where he's going to be running the ball at least 20 to 30 times. He's the workhorse back. There's nothing, no one really competing for snaps behind him. So, to me, you know, take the the league's leading rusher. He has enough tread. On, he doesn't have enough tread on his tires yet. That I would say that he's you know at risk of falling victim to injury or you know possibly some regression. I think he's still firmly in his prime. And if in terms of reliability, out of the people that I've named, Derrick Henry is the strongest out of them. So I'm taking I'm taking Derrick at number one. Well, the one thing with Derrick Henry, I mean, I'll knock on wood, but the guy doesn't get hurt. He's a freight train. So if you're going to take – I basically have a list of five guys who I would be okay with taking any of them at one, which is McCaffrey, Cook, Kamara, Henry, and Saquon. 
of all of those guys, the only two who haven't really had any significant injury are Henry and Kamara, which right. very different body types for both of them to not get injured. So I don't know what quite that means for Kamara. But uh, yeah, you're right. The positive game script thing is huge here. Like Tannehill is a very good quarterback. When he's been healthy over the last two years, he's like QB seven. Uh, and when he's really been cooking, he's been you know QB one or two. Um, he's been awesome. So I get that. Julio and AJ Brown, so long as the two of them are healthy, they're going to score a lot of points. Their defense also stinks. So good, you're just going to have more, you're going to have more plays. Um, generally a good thing for fantasy football. Um, so I, I cannot fault you for taking Derrick Henry. He's going to score a lot of touchdowns and probably have another big year. Um, if I were picking one, I probably wouldn't go there because I, I just think, and I'll make the pick here, number two, Christian McCaffrey. I just think the upside, if McCaffrey is fully going, is so much higher than everybody else. You go back two years when he had the 1,000 and 1,000, half PPR, anything where you're getting points for, for reception, he's just so much more valuable than anyone else. He also has a new quarterback who should be great for him um, and a good system around him. Like Joe Brady's an excellent offensive coordinator. They also have now three legitimate wide receivers with DJ Moore, Robbie Anderson, and the young kid, Terrace Marshall from LSU. Uh, I think that they're going to be a better offense than people think. And I think Darwin's going to be a little bit better than people think also. And it's going to provide a lot of room for McCaffrey. Also, their offensive line is much improved. Um, I just, I think that there's a, uh, it's realistic for Christian McCaffrey to catch 85 balls this year, 90 balls. Um, so yeah, as long as he's healthy, uh, I would, I would take him number one above anyone else. Yeah, no disagreement there. I mean, I think that that's the, this is where the value is going to be great. I think that there's the top tier of backs to me is really Henry, Henry CMC and Dalvin. Um, that's, that's how I have them ranked. And my only concern about CMC is that durability. Um, you know, last year was a really a struggle for him. But I'm also, you know, they have a new quarterback, right? And uh, yeah, you know, Curtis Samuel's not there anymore, but they did draft Terrace Marshall, as as you stated. Um, but I think that he's still going to be the focal point of the offense. So that's what you want. You want a three down back workhorse. Who's behind him? Chubba Hubbard. Um, so, yeah. yeah, I think it's it's pretty safe to say that CMC is going to get a, a healthy workload and dose um, coming up in this upcoming year. So great pick. Totally makes sense. All right, you're on the board with the third pick. Yeah, so I already teased it. Dalvin Cook, man, this guy's coming off of a monster season. And yeah, he comes with some health risks as well. But I mean, you can't deny 1,500 yards, over averaging over five yards per carry. He scored 17 touchdowns. And it's not that it's just him on the run game. Um, he was also very active in the pass game. He had 361 receiving yards. Um, in the previous year before that, he had 519. So you see what his upside is. This guy is involved in all facets of the offense. And, you know, now that we've seen Kirk Cousins um, kind of make his uh, get comfortable in that offense, as well as having a safety blanket in Adam Thielen. And we saw that the I mean, the eruption of Justin Jefferson, this offense is going to be prolific. I see no reason why they're going to have any letdown from last season. This guy's going to be a three down monster. I think you could argue that he could go number one uh, just for the pure volume that he's going to be getting. He ranks in above, you know, top five in a lot of the offensive metrics for running backs in terms of carries per share, um, in terms of elusiveness, juke rating. I mean, this guy is just a stud. So um, I think that any any league that rewards, you know, yard, uh, if you go for a 50 yard run, stuff like that, like this guy's breakaway speed. He does it all. So to me, Dalvin Cook makes sense at number three. So I love Dalvin. I love him at number three right here. I could totally see him taking a number one. He also, because of the Vikings offense, they also have my second favorite backup. Go draft Alexander Madison. If Dalvin Cook goes down, Madison is going to be a monster. For the record, my number one is Tony Pollard because he's better than Ezekiel Elliott right now, and you can't convince me otherwise. We agree, but he's not better than Ezekiel Elliott. But yes, he is the top hand <laughs> See. Dude, you're not falling um, in love with all those those shredded freaking oh, Zeke photos and stuff. Like, oh my yeah. god, he looks like Fantasy he's 210 pounds. Yeah, oh my god, he's he so looks tiny super now. skinny. Yeah, he, he does. looks super. He like scary, scary, scary skinny. Scary skinny. You're right. All right, uh, number four. I'll take a guy coming back from injury. Uh, 
so this obviously is going to come down to between Saquon and Kamara, and I'm going to go Saquon here for two reasons. One, I think that the Giants, their offensive line definitely improved. I think that Daniel Jones will be a little bit better. They have more weapons on the outside with Kenny Galladay coming in now. Uh, hopefully that opens it up. But really, this is just banking on Saquon's talent. It's there. It has always been there if he's healthy. Uh, like you said before, with Dalvin, with the 50-yard runs, if your league rewards that, I mean, Saquon's going to do that all the time. He's also probably the second-best uh, pass-catching running back in the NFL. Uh, if he's healthy, his upside is higher than just about everyone's and maybe higher than McCaffrey's. The injury risk is just way higher. Um, so I, I will go him here. And the reason to fade Kamara here is just I have no idea what that offense is going to look like with Hill or Winston. It's really tough for me to bank on a guy going top five and not know who the quarterback is. If it's Taysom, they're going to run a lot more, which takes the ball out of Kamara's hands. If it's Winston, he's not really a dump-off guy. He throws it down the field a lot more. So I just don't know what that looks like. It's a little scary to take uh, Kamara at number four. Yeah, I would agree for most parts, except that I don't know. I, I have Saquon Barkley in my rankings. I have him, excuse me, number six, actually, behind a guy that you hate. In <laughs> and it's probably because I'm just I've actually never been a huge Saquon Barkley owner or manager, main, mainly because his injury risk is just so high. But the upside is tremendous. So like you're not playing for injury. So I totally understand the value play here. And what, you know, seemingly should be a better offense, right? Like Daniel Jones is another year removed from, you know, being the man. And now you have Kenny Galladay there to help stretch the field. You spend some draft capital, get Kadarius Tony. Evan Ingram still sucks. But, you know, ultimately, you still have a good shot at, at getting someone that can at least take some pressure off of him having to be the, the focal point of the offense, which I think is the point, right? Like you want Daniel Jones to actually have time to throw the ball time to set up the offense and, and actually control the clock, which they were never really good at. Um, so I think Saquon's a good bet. I would say that also he you claimed him he's the second best receiving back. I would say he's probably third behind the guy that I'm going to take at number five or number four. Can't count. In number five. Uh, number five. I can't count. Uh, Alvin Kamara. I think Alvin Kamara is the, is the second best catching back to um, Christian McCaffrey. And I mean, you can't... I, I totally get the concern about who's going to be under center i think it's ultimately going to be Jameis winston and i don't know if it's because i don't <laughs> I, I i love to believe that his off-season regimen is actually going to amount to something <laughs> positive because like it's doing the most the most ridiculous stuff i've ever seen to prove that he's a legitimate quarterback but ultimately i think it's going to become down to passing i think Taysom hill kind of got found out a little bit i think that he could be schemed around Around the goal line, for sure, Taysom Hill is very valuable. But if we're talking about a, a full game, I think you're going to need someone that can actually stretch the field a little bit longer. And to utilize Michael Thomas, you know, fully healthy with this offensive skill set, I think Jameis Winston's going to be the guy. And ultimately, I mean, assuming he can remain turnover, he can keep the turnovers down because that's his biggest his biggest downside because the guy can sling it otherwise. He led the league in, in passing yards just a couple years ago. So... But Kamara had 21 touchdowns last year, 83 receptions, almost 800 yards receiving, plus a, almost 1,000 yards on the ground. I think we're going to see more act, more of him on the ground, actually. So, you know, we could be looking at a 1,000, 1,000-yard potential for Kamara if Jameis Winston's under center. If Taysom Hill winds up getting the nod, you know, we might have to reevaluate a little bit on how high we're going to keep him ranked. But as of right now, I'm under the assumption that Jameis is going to be the guy and Kamara at number five great value so i think that camara you make a lot of good points here i think that camara has a his ceiling is higher than maybe anyone else's except for mccaffrey uh, but i do think that his floor is way lower than in most years that he's been in the league right. so i just think that that it, it's just about your risk tolerance and where you're willing to take the risk like saquon's is clearly that the risk is injury Kamara's is not that. It's just like we don't know what that offense is going to look Us like. Usage he, and volume, right? Yeah, exactly. Like it, it could be Latavius Murray is getting a lot more running because they're doing it more out of twelve percent. Like I, I just don't know. So I wouldn't take the risk. But at number five, yeah, I would. Like it, there's clearly a teardrop between five and six. 
to me. Um, so I have the sixth pick, and I'm going to go against a guy that I'm sure that you're going to take at seven. I'm going to take Jonathan Taylor at six. Whoa. I'm going to take Jonathan Taylor at six. Uh, he is a beast running the ball, especially late in the year. You saw it last year. The Colts offensive line, I still think, is going to be very good. They have a quarterback who, God willing, is actually going to play okay, although Phil was pretty good last year. Uh, I see a big jump on their receivers with Michael Pittman. Uh, and I just love the way that Colts offensive line blocks in the running game. And just put your butt behind their left guard and their center and, and the rest of the boys and just run the ball. I mean, I can run the ball for five yards of carry behind Quentin Nelson. So just give me JT. He's going to score a bunch of touchdowns. I know he's not involved in the pass game as much as some of the other guys, but basically I just think of him as Nick Chubb with more volume and a little less efficiency. So great. I'll take him at number six and I, I can sure as hell tell you, I'm not taking Zeke and his breaking down body and the fact that he doesn't have a nose for the end zone anymore. Get him the hell out of here. I'll take Tony Pollard in the ninth round and I'll take JT now. Interesting. JT. I like it, man. And, I don't know that I have him right that high. I have him actually more in the back end, um, you know, around the eight, nine range. And that's primarily because they did lose Anthony Costanzo, their, their left tackle, which is, I think that's going to matter to protect a blind side, especially for Carson Wentz, who we know can't stay healthy and honestly has lost all confidence in the ability to play football. So I think that that's a big question mark here. And, um, while his job might be just primarily handing the ball off, Marlon Mack is seemingly returning from injury. I don't know what he's going to look like. Naeem Hines was very actively involved in their in their backfield. So I think that the ceiling is through the roof for Jonathan Taylor. And I would be willing to go as high as six to grab him if you believe in Carson Wentz and that offense, mm -hmm. I think that the, I don't, I don't know how good the Colts are going to be this year, but Frank Reich has proven to be a very good fantasy relevant head coach. So um, their offensive coordinator has now moved on to the Eagles. He's that that's Nick Sirianni. So we're going to have a new, maybe possibly a new little system, but I think ultimately it's still going to, it's still going to focus through you know, or focus on Jonathan Taylor. Cause that's their draft capital. That's their dog. It makes total sense. All right. You're up with the seventh pick, and I know where you're going here. I'm pretty sure. I was going to go Zeke, actually, but I think I'm going to pivot with news that Aaron Rodgers is going to be returning to the Green Bay Packers. I'm going to go with Aaron Jones, man. He's not a sexy pick. He often falls into the second round, uh, mainly because, I don't know, people just believe that A.J. Dillon, because of his quads like Saquon, he's going to overtake his duties, but they paid him in the offseason, and that's what that's, you got to follow the money. And Aaron Jones is coming off a season where he had 1,100 yards um, on the ground, nine touchdowns, along with 47 receptions for almost 400 yards receiving with another two touchdowns. So, you know, you're getting upwards of, you know, close to 1,500 yards with double-digit touchdowns. You're not getting that from a lot of top top 10 running backs. Um, injuries come into play, but I think one thing we saw is that, you know, with Jamal Williams out of there, A.J. Dillon, sure, he could step into some kind of a role, but I think that they that Aaron Jones has proven over the last couple of years that he's worthy of a first round pick and certainly someone that could bring your, your, um, your fantasy roster, a championship because this guy plays a lot of downs. He is trusted by Aaron Rodgers, which is most important. He only trusts two people in that mail. Well, now three people, I guess Devonte, Aaron Jones, and then it's Robert Tunyon. And so at this point I'm riding with uh, Aaron Jones and his upside here. Um, I think there's a very good chance that he's going to have a really good season coming in his first year after getting the bag, um, which is usually a good motivation for people. It also could not be motivation for mm -hmm. people. Some people could could take a playoff or two and after they got the money. But I think Aaron Jones is a pretty uh, – it seems like he's a pretty good dude, and I think he's going to – I mean, you got Aaron Rodgers back there, man. He's not going to be taking any plays off. So I think he's going to be a great, great selection here mid-round. So I have Jones as my number seven also. I would have taken him here ahead of Zeke. Uh, I was hoping he would drop to eight here. Uh, I think that uh, Jones is a little bit more bulletproof in terms of the Rodgers situation than 
Devontae Adams is. Uh, right. Even if they have Jordan Love there, I still think he's going to get a lot of volume. I probably wouldn't take him at seven, but I'd probably take him at like 12 or 13. Like I, I still, I don't think there's that big of a drop here. So, um, and everything that you said is right. Like, he gets the sort of volume that the guys in the top five do. He produces the sort of touchdowns that the guys in the top five do. Uh, he just has to compete with the number one receiver in the NFL for those targets. Um, not really that big of a deal right now. I mean, he's been spectacular the last couple of seasons. So uh, as long as he's healthy, I definitely see him as a, a top seven, top eight sort of uh, fantasy running back. Uh, Ooh, so are, so you, are, you going, are you going with Zeke here? I am not going with Zeke. Board? No, I have not. I have not reached Zeke on my board yet. I listed out the top 25 players. Maybe I'll say them afterwards. Uh, I don't have Zeke here. My projections have someone else who fantasy football heads secretly love, but won't openly talk about it. Joe Mixon. I knew I'm going to take you know. Joe Mixon yeah. at number eight. Uh, so my projections have him actually ranked as the sixth best back this year based on volume. Geo's out of the way. P. Ryan's is back up. Uh, I think he's going to get a ton of volume. And that the defense stinks. They're going to have to throw the ball all over the place. They have three great wide receiver weapons. But they really don't have anyone to compete with him on the running game. And if you were going to cover those three deep, there's going to be so many checkdowns. Burrow are going to go right to Mixon. I think he's in for an absolutely monster season. Again, with Mixon, do you have to stay healthy? Yes. In order for this to work as eighth pick, but I think Mixon's going to be. I mean, I, I would take him. I, I would take him as high as six, honestly. Um, and I might be getting to that point as we get later into the season. Um, but I, yeah, I'm a huge fan of Mixon this year. Wow, as high as six. I like Joe Mixon. The injury woes. He got the bag. Their offensive line. Joe Burrow's coming off a major knee reconstruction they're loaded at wide receiver loaded absolutely loaded i mean i see the upside here um not sure that i would go as high as six but i think you're grabbing him right at the right place here um because really it's just the volume man you're not going to find very many three down backs that literally have no competition like samaje p ryan like that dude's a walk like he's not that good yeah so at this point it's just a matter of can he stay healthy when he's when he's on the field, he's productive. Now the only concern, I think, the biggest concern is really that offensive line play, mm -hmm. you know. But that should also bode if we can, if you know, the quarterback can get the ball out, he could he should have dumb passes and you know uh, catching the ball in the flat and stuff like that. So you know he should still have some value there, even if their offensive line is trash in the receiving game, which I think is really important for half point PPR. Absolutely. All right. <laughs> now are you gonna take the guy we've been talking about way too much? I'm I'm taking him off the books, man. Okay, like he's got, he's got to go. He's got to go. So yeah, I'm I'm taking Ezekiel Elliott here. It's only his second season where he didn't have a, over a thousand yards on the ground, but he still had you know almost 1,200. He had over 1,200 yards total yards. So you know this guy, he, I feel like in just in this offense, you know Dak is coming off a, a pretty serious knee injury himself, but similar to the Cincinnati Bengals, I actually trust the. Dallas, the Dallas Cowboys offensive line more than I trust the Cincinnati Bengals is why I think Zeke is due for a bounce back. You know, with Dak under center, they're going to be throwing the ball more, but <coughs> excuse me, they're going to be throwing the ball more, but there's one thing you can count on, and that's Ezekiel Elliott getting first downs, touchdowns, and everything else. And while you're high on Tony Pollard, he's not as good as Ezekiel Elliott. And he's just nowhere close. To, they're not even in the same stratosphere. Zeke has the talent, the pedigree, the floor. Worst case, you're getting 1,200 yards and almost 10 TDs. I'll take that floor any day of the week in the back end of the draft. I think this is a perfect spot for a guy like him. Um, and he's in the best shape of his life, so to speak. I don't know that I'm believing it with those pictures. But, hey, if he had to get lean to make him feel like he, he's going to last 16 games or now 17 games, um, I'm all for it. You know, I think he, he took the offseason to get his mind right, get his body right. I think that's probably been one of the biggest hurdles for him was his mental. It was his mental approach to the game. And he's seemingly ready to win, man. Dallas sucks. They have a lot to uh, to come back to, man. They, they're not a winning franchise anymore. So 
I think there's a lot to be said about grabbing a, a running back who has three down potential already has this um, a clear floor that he's going to at least deliver over 1200 total yards. All right. So we're getting to the zone where the ZK for me kind of has to stop. I haven't been 10. So drafting okay, that's with, not that bad. Drafting, not bad. drafting with nine is fine. I, I love Tony Pollard. He's not, he's just not going to get the volume of Zeke, not even close. He's, He's still better, but that's okay. Um, look, I, I think that the Cowboys' offense in general is just a massive, massive buy. Once again, defense is going to be awful. They're going to throw the ball all over the field. The offensive line, hopefully, or looks like they're going to be a little bit healthier and a little bit better. Dak's going to be an absolute monster this year. We'll talk about this in, in future podcasts, but I think he's QB1 this year, and there's not a whole lot of – in my mind, like you can't throw me off of that set. He's going to be awesome. And also, you know, we'll talk about this. We're going to talk about our breakout stars to finish out the podcast. But CD Lamb, like I, I have like I don't know heart emojis coming out from my eyeballs. <laughs> this guy. Um, so I, I'm all in on the Dab- on the Cowboys offense. If you want to take Zeke at seven, eight, nine, ten, just based on the offense and the amount of volume he's going to get within that offense, fine. I, I just wouldn't take him, you know, above any of the top five guys. And then it's a matter of preference. Um, his him being leaned out is probably good, but can he last the 17 games? He kind of looked like trash. He wasn't really good in the red zone last year. He wasn't efficient after, you know, uh, getting hit. He wasn't breaking tackles in the same way as last year. So, you know, he's, he's put a lot of miles on. He was used like crazy at Ohio state. He's been used like crazy since he came into the NFL yeah, he's got a 26 year old's body, but or 26 year old is his age, but like he's got a body of a 35 year old at this point. Uh, he's got a lot of uh, miles on him, so you know I don't know how much longer he's going to look like Zeke Elliott. Maybe leaning out is a good thing for him. Um, so I, we'll see. Um, so I have the 10th pick here. I'm going to go Antonio Gibson. Uh, someone that I drafted oh. in pretty much every every dynasty league last year. I have him ranked ninth overall. Uh, I think he's going to be an absolute monster this year. Him and Acres were kind of tied with me as like the the ninth guy and like the big breakout guy, the second year guy. I really wanted to be behind. Uh, I think that having Ryan Fitzpatrick there is huge for him in the past game. Uh, their offensive line very capable. You saw last year super explosive as a nose for the end zone. And obviously, he played wide receiver in college, and they didn't even utilize him really as a pass catcher last year because they were giving all the targets to J.D. McKissick. Uh, I think that changes this year. I think he's a true three-down back, and uh, I think he's in for just a monster, monster year. I love it, and I in complete support of getting on the Antonio Gibson train. I know that there's been talks about his turf toe and not really having uh, much progress there from the end of last season, but... And I'm not worried about JC Mc, rumors of JC Mc, uh, McKissick um, bulking up and wanting an everyday, every down role. It's just not going to happen. Mm-hmm. Ron Rivera called this dude uh, CMC light, you know, after drafting him in Memphis. I think we're going to see him really develop. He didn't really play running back that much in college. So, you know, he had to take a year, figure out the system, figure out what it's like to to get those touches. The man was a beast at the goal line last year. I think we're just going to see this man really erupt on the scene and become one of those future, you know, in dynasty, extremely valuable uh, running backs. But in redraft, it's going to be one of those guys going to be climbing up draft boards as we get closer to the season. Absolutely. All right. You got the 11th pick. Let's close this one out. Yeah, I'm going to go. I feel like it's it's too long for this guy to, to be still available. I think I'm going to go with Travis Kelsey here. I don't like. I don't love taking tight ends early on, but this guy is just in a tier of his own, to be honest. And, you know, you're essentially getting um, one of the best receivers in the NFL here. Um, and, you know, I think the, the argument could be made, do you go Devontae Adams? Do you go Tyreek Hill? But I think Travis Kelsey is 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 just about the best bet you can get. I mean, this guy's had, you know, close to over 1,200 yards in three consecutive seasons, 100-plus receptions in two of those last three seasons. He had 97 uh, the year prior, um, but double double digit touchdowns. Um, I think that this guy is seriously. I mean, he's in the best offense. He's the focal point of. He's the safety blanket of the best quarterback in the NFL, in my opinion, in, in Patrick Mahomes. And I, I don't even at age thirty one. I think that he's still very valuable. He, you're 
pretty much looking at Tony Gonzalez here in terms of his level of consistency production at a position that you can have, you know, if you're drafting him as, as number one or in the first round, uh, I should say, you're already going to have an advantage in that position battle. And as long as you can stack your team appropriately, you're like, you're probably going to have to go, you know, running back wide receiver, running back, running back on the next two uh, draft picks, but you can certainly build around a tight end. So um, I, I totally am on board with taking Travis Kelsey in the first round for what upside he brings you at that position. I, I think that the positional value with Kelsey is unmatched. I mean, it's unlike anything else in fantasy football. He's kind of a cheat code specifically when, or at least the last two years, three years when he's just been out of this world. Uh, even look at like Darren Waller in the season he had right. last year. He, he wasn't even sniffing what Kelsey was doing. So right. if, you, if you can get him and Kelsey produces another one of those years, you're kind of already winning the battle. If you have Kelsey on your team healthy, you're kind of not missing the playoffs. Like you're playoff proof a little bit. So right. And so that might alone make him, you know, a, a top five pick. And I, you know, I think after you could have gone three, a lot earlier. You're right. I, you I think after earlier. I think after two, like you go CMC and Dalvin. After that, if you want to take Kelsey three, just positional value alone, fine. Like I totally totally get it. Especially if you're in a full PPR league where you're not going to find it from tight ends, really, and you basically have four or five guys who are going to get any sort of volume that is, right. you know, going to get you value. Uh, sure, I'm great with it. Half PPR. I have Kelsey 13, but you know, based on how the league's going, and if like if running backs fly off the board early, all down with going Kelsey. So I love that pick at 11. Uh, Number 12, closing out the first round. I'm in a tough position here. I'm not going to go wide receiver. Uh, just doesn't really make sense. There's so many good wide receivers in the second, third, fourth round. I kind of don't want to touch any of them in the first round. Um, so I'm kind of down to Eckler and Chubb here. And you're kind of splitting hairs. I'm going to go Eckler uh, just because of half PPR. Um, I think there's a chance that him and Herbert just have an insane connection this year. And he has like 90 catches. He may only rush for 600 yards, but he has 90 catches for like a thousand yards and eight touchdowns. He's basically a wide receiver with like 600 rushing yards. Okay, great. Chubb could have, and I had Chubb on a lot of teams last year, and he was, I mean, he won a couple leagues for me. He was awesome at the end of the year. He's basically like Derrick Henry light. Um, he averages like five and a half yards a rush. Like Chubb's awesome. But you're just not getting the same volume as you would be from Eckler, so that's kind of the tiebreaker for me. But I would ha- I would fault no one for going Chubb in this situation. Yeah, no disagreement there, man. Like, and the only thing is, I w- I would choose. Yeah, it's it's because you know Nick Chubb is one of the best pure runners in the NFL, but that the lack of receptions for him is what I why I wouldn't pick him over Austin Eckler. I think Austin Eckler could get potentially some goal line carries. There's not really much in the running back room that's gonna he's gonna compete with. Whereas, you know, not that Nick Chubb's looking over his shoulder with Kareem Hunt, but Kareem Hunt is actively involved in the snap shares and and Nick Chubb didn't see more than a 62% uh snap share in any game last season. So, you know, if it's not if it's a negative game script, Chubb's off the off the field. Whereas mm-hmm. Austin Eckler, no matter what, no how how bad the charges are or are not, he's gonna be on the field. So yeah, I love Austin Eckler there over over Nick Chubb. All right, so let's finish off podcast. Let's talk about some breakout stars. Uh, we're going to do three, just your three breakout stars for the 2021 NFL season. So heavy with them. Jalen Hurts, TJ Hawkinson, and my third was Antonio Gibson. All right. I love those. So we actually shared one. Uh, my number one is CD Lamb. I number two, number two is TJ Hawkinson. Hey, uh, just because of the volume, man, I think that he's going to be a top three tight end this year. Who the hell is Goff going to throw to? It's got to exactly. be TJ Hawkinson. You know what I'm saying? Like, it's not going to be Tyrell Williams. Who is like he did nothing? <laughs> Cephas, uh, what's his name? Uh, Quintus Cephas. Like, nah, I don't believe it. Yeah, Brashad Perryman, Amon or St. Brown. Like it's it's not really great. And also Goff has proven before that he can support a couple guys in fantasy. I know he's not Absolutely. with McVay, but he, he's a good enough quarterback to support some guys. And also the Lions are gonna be down by 30 points in every game. They're gonna throw the ball. Hawkinson's gonna have like 150 targets. And let's be honest, 
Jared Goff's arm isn't, you know, the best. So this guy's going to be hitting people down the seams, quick little comeback passes, moving the chains. And guess who's going to be a safety blanket for all that? TJ Hawkinson. Absolutely. I'm a, I'm huge on Hawkinson this year. Uh, the third one is further down the list. Like this isn't someone I would draft in like the first four or five rounds. Adam Troutman. Because the Saints have mm. no one outside of Kamara and Michael Thomas. And Troutman, look at what they gave up for him. They traded their entire rest of the draft in 2020 after the third round to move up into the third round with the Vikings in order to get this guy. You don't trade that sort of draft capital for a tight end unless you fully plan on utilizing him in the offense. And Sean Payton is one of the best. And when he wants to feature someone in the offense, they're going to get open and they're going to get a lot of targets. So whether it's Winston or Hill, uh, I think Troutman's in for a big year. I actually have him projected as tight end eight which I'm sure surprises people considering he only had 157 receiving yards last year. Uh, I think this is a massive year. There's a reason they got rid of Jared Cook. There's a reason they didn't really bring in anyone to compete with him in the tight end room. Uh, I think it's a massive year for him. Um, I have two more. Well, actually, I have three more. My third one My third one in reality would have been Cam Akers, so that's screwed. The other two wide receivers I want to talk about, just very quickly, and then we'll end the pot, uh, Russell Gage and Gabe Davis. So Russell Gage, Love obviously. Gabe Davis. Okay. <laughs> so, so Russell Gage, obviously, Julio's gone. They're going to throw the ball a lot. The defense isn't that great. Kyle Pitts, I mean, no one's a bigger Kyle Pitts fan than I am, but he's still a tight end. He's still going to have other responsibilities within the offense. Calvin Ridley can only get so many targets. And Gage was really, really good last year with Julio right. and without Julio. Uh, I think he could be definitely a, a high-end wide receiver three for you, maybe a low-end wide receiver two. I think he's going to get a ton of volume. Uh, and I, I think that he would be a good pickup in the middle rounds for for anyone. Uh, Gabe Davis is um, – I mean, people who saw him play last year, he had some big moments, but he wasn't utilized a lot in the offense. So now John Brown is out of the way. Josh Allen proved that he can throw the ball all over the field. They do not have a running game, and Brian Dayball does not even care about running the ball at all. There's only so many receptions that Stefan Diggs can get. Cole Beasley is unvaccinated. He's probably going to miss games for COVID or whatever. And so who's left? You have this really talented second-year guy who's taller than anyone else who's going to get red zone targets or have like a good tight end group. I think Gabe Davis is like a super sleeper. People are like not even paying attention to him. He could definitely have like a second year massive breakout where he turns into a legitimate fantasy piece. Yeah, I love him in redraft, man, because, you know, Dynasty, he's, his value is about what it should be. But like, I think this is literally someone that could potentially win you a championship. If and any injury happens to anyone else that's in front of him in the depth chart, this guy's going to be a target hog and beast. Um, he's already shown a great knack for the end zone, and he's tall. He's very lengthy in terms of like his reach and his his ability um, to reach for you know you know sideline passes, tiptoes. Like he's very agile, and I don't know. I think that this guy is. I think that they lucked out and got a really good receiver. Love his size more than anything. I think him and Stephon Diggs are going to be a great one-two pairing um, as the season wears on. He's going to get a lot more comfortability around him. Since we're talking about the Bills, I would say that if you go zero RB strategy, I think one of the great targets that you can get is Zach Moss. Yeah. I think he's already started to um, exceed expectations in terms of um, whether he's going to pass Devin Singletary on the depth chart. I think there's already been rumors and beat writers in the fantasy community that he's already uh, an, a step ahead of him. So I think if you're going to go zero RB strategy, I think that's a great guy to target in a, pl- a prolific offense that he certainly could be a, a guy that could he's going to have a better season than last year automatically. But um, I think he's going to he could be potentially flirting with, you know, double-digit touchdowns, um, and at least 800, 900 yards. Yeah, I love Moss in redraft as a zero RB, or even hero RB, like as your RB2. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Totally, totally love that pick with Moss. So you probably get him in like the eighth round-ish. Um, right. You put you draft like a number one, let's say that you get like, let's say Calvin, and then you just wait until the eighth round and you pick up guys like, you take Moss and then like a Pollard or whatever, and or right. even like a Ed, an Edmonds around that zone. Like you're set, you'll be fine. So I really like that strategy with taking Moss there. Um, 
I think that does it for, for this pod. We are going to talk about the NBA draft on the next pod before the NBA draft next Thursday. I promise you we're going to do a mock draft. We're going to do best bets. Uh, we're going to try to make you some money like we did for the NFL draft. Um, Dan, thank you so much. I can't wait for next week, and I am so happy to have you on board here at Champions Run. Likewise. Can't wait till next week. Let's get into that draft talk. All right. Talk to you later.